Dear Lord, as we talk about leaders and teaching now, I pray that I will be a trustworthy messenger of your trustworthy message. Give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. Amen. When we're looking for threats to our faith, we are very often wary of the world around us. We feel the pressure of a condescending media. Now, we see how social media influences social conformity. We see how our shows and our movies try to so subtly influence our values and perspective on life. Uh, and we find those influences powerful and uh, oppressive, but we can often see them coming. You know, we're not too surprised uh, that the world is trying to change our perspective of what it means to follow Jesus. What is often a little more difficult are the threats that are closer to home, those ones that are hiding in plain sight. Uh, and when you look at this picture, uh, you know, you, you could look at it's a large shark sitting under the surfer, or you might be threatened by the wave. But often at the beach, it's not the sharks or the waves that you've got to be truly afraid of. It's the rips. Uh, the rips that you don't see, uh, that bit of water that looks that little bit calmer than perhaps the rest of it, uh, but you know is actually incredibly powerful. And that's kind of the situation in the churches in Crete. It's the trusted person who wants to use the Bible to, to make the Christian message aligned to something that's a little more comfortable with the society around us. You know, less Jesus is Saviour and Lord and more Jesus the Good Samaritan. Uh, or perhaps it's the person who wants to say, you know, Jesus is really important, but Jesus just isn't quite enough. And so they want to load up people with more rules and regulations and expectations. And it's all in the name of godliness. It's very strict. There's lots of work, uh, often lots of guilt, but not a lot of grace. And often with these false teachers, there's just enough truth in them that it sounds good, but it's really dangerous. So Paul wrote this letter to Titus because he wants to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. That's what we read right back at the beginning of Titus. And in the context of this particular letter, we know it's to the Christians on the island of Crete. And step one to furthering their faith is by appointing godly, trustworthy leaders who will faithfully proclaim the trustworthy message about Jesus the Lord. But these leaders need to have a reputation uh, that reflects a good character, doesn't it? It's not just enough to have a compelling leader. We need a leader who is going to be godly. Uh, they need to be leaders who are going to encourage and guide with good teaching. And we need leaders who are going to refute bad teaching. So last week we put it in terms of who they are, how they lead and where they are leading. Uh, this week we're going to look at why these leaders are so important. And so we're going to start at verse 10 if you want to read it with me. They need trustworthy leaders for there are many rebellious people 
full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by, their teaching, by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. You know, Paul has just been talking about appointing leaders for God's household. And so his primary concern isn't sort of the nuclear family and their household, but how this is going to affect the house churches that have been set up all over Crete. And they've been influenced by these false teachers. I think a little bit of a, a digression from this passage, but I do love the language of household because it's the language of family. We are brothers and sisters together in Christ. It's the imagery of, of sitting around together and sharing a meal and laughing together. It's about sharing life and it's more than just metaphoric language. Uh, as we are connected to God through Jesus, we are also connected to one another. Uh, but in the context of what's happening here in Crete, they've got these people who are coming into the household of God and they're saying, actually, you've got your connection with God all wrong. You kind of got your, your wires crossed. But thankfully, these teachers want to say, we've got all the right answers at just the right price. And the group that's of particular threat here is what Paul describes as the circumcision group. I'm not sure if that's the reputation you want. What are you known for? We're known for circumcision. But, uh, but this is the group uh, who were perhaps naturalised uh, Cretans, so born on Crete, part of the Christian community. They probably had a Jewish heritage. And they're saying that to be a Christian, you need to accept Christ, but you also need the Old Testament law. So way back in Genesis, uh, Abraham, God makes a promise to Abraham. This is what he says, and we read this a little bit earlier. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And physical circumcision was going to be the symbol of their commitment to that promise. And so Genesis goes on to say, any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And of course, we know, because we get to look back, that Israel weren't faithful to their promise. They weren't faithful to the covenant. And so when Jesus comes along and dies on the cross and rises again, he achieves what Israel failed to achieve. And actually, God knew that that was going to happen all along. God knew that they would not be faithful and God knew that he would intervene. And so in Deuteronomy, it says, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. And so Paul picks up this Old Testament language uh, here when he's, when he's engaging with this circumcision group, but we also read it in the book of Romans. He, he fleshes it out a bit more where he says, circumcision is circumcision of the heart but the circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. And so when people are teaching that male Christians need to be circumcised, what they're trying to do is add more to the message of the gospel. What they're saying is Jesus is not enough. And so these people are no longer the trustworthy messengers 
And these are the sorts of people that leaders in the church need to stand up against. And this, this is the sort of teaching that will start to feed into the church and start to draw them away. This is the beginning of that rip. So Jesus says... Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. And these people are saying, no, Jesus didn't come and fulfil the law at all. He might have fulfilled the bit about sacrificing animals, but actually the rest of the law still remains in place. And so Paul doesn't just want to discredit the message that these people are preaching. He wants to make people really clear that you cannot trust these messengers and so this is what he says one of the Crete's own prophets has said Cretans are always liars evil brutes lazy gluttons that's quite a reputation really uh, yeah we, we have the expression you know someone's a cretin it comes from the reputation of these people uh, and it was exemplified and I, I talked about this a few weeks ago but in their worship of Zeus so one of the famous stories of Zeus was how he took on the form of a woman's husband to seduce her. But Crete was also an island that was known for you know, a long history of sort of wars between the various cities. It was a launching point for piracy on the Mediterranean as, as people traded up and down the coast. And it had a reputation as a haven for mercenaries. So violence, greed and gluttony were all sort of a normal part of this depraved society. And as long as it didn't get you killed, it was kind of something to be quite proud of. You know, they, they boasted about their exploits. So Paul has been advocating for trustworthy leaders. And he's saying, well, these people are anything but. They are untrustworthy leaders and they have an untrustworthy message. But somewhat surprisingly for us as we read this, Paul doesn't want to kick these people out of the church. Paul wants to rebuke them harshly so that they might learn and become people of sound faith. So verse 13, therefore rebuke them harshly so that they'll be in sound faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the mere human commands of those who reject the truth. I don't think anyone likes to be rebuked. Uh, and I don't think anyone particularly likes doing the rebuking. You know, we know that it's you know, socially awkward, it's personally awkward. We're not really sure how the other person is going to respond or react. And we're quite conscious of sort of our own shortcomings. So as you sort of criticise someone else or feel you're criticising someone else, you wouldn't be too surprised if they then turn around and point the finger at you. And, and that and would probably all be true. And so the temptation is to kind of just avoid those awkward sorts of situations. And I think from a Christian perspective, you know, we read a passage like you know, from Matthew where Jesus says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so we read a passage like that and go, I would have loved to have said something, but, you know, I shouldn't be judgmental, and so I won't. Uh, and that's kind of a bit convenient, isn't it? Uh, it allows us to avoid the very thing we are most afraid of. 
Uh, Jesus is not saying that we should avoid calling out bad behaviour or bad teaching. But we do need to do it from a position of humility. We need to do it from a position of recognising that we're no better than someone else, but we still need to call it out. And we're not necessarily motivated by our own anger or frustration. This isn't about venting. It's about desiring to honour God and to see this person honour God. And so what we have here is tough love. It's really tough love. And Paul is saying to Titus, you need to choose leaders who are willing to say tough things. Uh, who are willing to protect the household of God, uh, but also for the sake of these false teachers, so that they'll see that they are wrong and they will turn around and actually follow what is right. And the big issue here is Jewish myths and mere human commands. Uh, And this is difficult because he doesn't really then go on to tell us what these myths are. A little bit later on in the letter of Titus, he talks about how they follow genealogies. So that's all sort of the history of the family. And they probably had a sort of a belief that, you know, if you were of the right line of people, if your heritage, you know, connected you all the way back to, you know, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, then somehow you are now a little bit more privileged before God that you had more authority in the Christian community. That was probably something along the lines of what they were trying to teach. And we don't really know too much about these human commands, at least not from these specific words. But as we look at other passages, we can start to put together a bit of a picture. Uh, So we do know that Paul is picking up the language of Isaiah uh, when he says, "'These people come near to me with their mouth "'and honour me with their lips.'" but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. So Israel took God's law and then they made all sorts of rules about how you had to keep the law. And there were literally hundreds of them. You know, things like you could not carry a piece of paper on the Sabbath because that would constitute work. And so they made up more and more rules. And this isn't just sort of Paul having a rant about legalism. Uh, Jesus says something very similar uh, in the book of Mark. So he says, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. And then Jesus goes on a little bit later in the same passage to talk about how they approach food. So nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. And so as we look at these other passages and we look at what Paul writes in different places, the big issues are all around circumcision, law and food. And so here Paul is saying, when it comes to food, to the pure all things are pure, but to those who are corrupt and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupt. So they're making up all of these rules about what you should do to be a real follower of Jesus, but actually they're taking the truth and twisting it. Now, for our culture, I don't think legalism has quite the same influence as perhaps it did back then, 
but we do still have our sort of version of legalistic thinking. You know, we see it in the person who says, I'm a Christian, our family has been part of this church for four generations. As if that is what defines them as a Christian. Or perhaps it's the person who says, I'm a Christian because I come to church, uh, or I give money, or I give to the poor, or I've been baptised. And it's dangerous ground because there is some truth in all of that. As Christians, we are called to gather with our brothers and sisters in Christ. As Christians, we're called to give generously of the money that God has generously given us. But if we think that those things are a substitute for loving God and worshipping God with our heart, then we've become profoundly misguided and we've missed the point. To those who are corrupt and do not believe, nothing is pure. The counter to legalism isn't to stop doing the right things. It's doing the right things for the right reasons. And Paul wants to be absolutely clear. What these people are teaching is dangerous for them and for everyone else. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient and unfit for doing anything good. Now, they are brutal words, aren't they? Uh, but sometimes that's what's needed. You know, this isn't a template for how to handle disagreements in the church. Uh, I don't recommend and I shan't be going around saying you are detestable. Uh, I don't think that's going to be helpful. But certainly, when things are serious enough, when there is a crisis, sometimes you need to be clear and unequivocal, don't you? If someone is about to get caught in a rip and get swept out and die, then now's the time to really shout it and shout it clearly. And that's what Paul's doing here. The issue is so big, the stakes are so high that he wants them to be absolutely clear. So Paul wants Titus to appoint elders who will protect the Christian community from false teaching and encourage with sound teaching. And I think here are four things uh, that are helpful when it comes to protecting and encouraging. Firstly, we need to choose our leaders wisely because they will have a huge influence on our understanding of the scriptures as well as their example. Uh, so we need leaders who will work hard and prayerfully to understand the scriptures. Uh, leaders who will set aside their personal agenda of what they feel it should say and preach what does the Bible actually say. The bits that we find hard, the bits that we find easy, what does the Bible actually say. Uh, and part of that, of course, is understanding the Bible in context. We can't simply take what God said to Israel and apply it to us. You know, we have to go, okay, what's God's message for them in that context? And then what does that mean for us as we now live after what Jesus has done for us on the cross? And then how do we apply that faithfully to where we are now? Uh, but as we go through that process, we've also got to be careful not to dismiss hard teaching by, you know, just simply going, oh, yeah, we don't have to listen to that anymore because it's context and culture and so it doesn't apply to me. So we've got to do the hard work. I think, secondly, we need to listen carefully and we need to prayerfully weigh up what we hear. And again, we can't just weigh things according to what we want to hear uh, or what our culture says is acceptable to hear. 
You know, if we are genuinely committed to the Bible being the word of God, then our two big questions are, what is this passage actually saying? And how do I respond in obedience? I think number three, uh, we need to challenge teaching and behaviour that is inconsistent with Scripture. Uh, and when I'm not talking here about how we challenge the world around us. We want to share the gospel with the world around us, but we're not trying to make our society moral. We need to start with how do we respond to the gospel? How do we respond to the scriptures amongst ourselves? Are we being faithful to it uh, as we live in the world? I think part of that is when we recognise that something is sounding a bit off, that graciously, generously, humbly... Uh, that we challenge that. Uh, certainly we want to make sure we clarify and ask questions. But if we feel something is being taught that is wrong, well, let's sit down with the scriptures and wrestle with it together. But let's, let's do it with a desire to be faithful to what God is saying. And then number four, uh, if we're going to challenge what's wrong, then even better, uh, we need teachers who will teach what is good and what is right. Uh, and we want to show the world what hope in Christ genuinely looks like. So it's God's word that shows us how we can be saved and how our relationship with God can be restored. It's God's word that shows us how to flourish in the present and to have a secure future. In a world full of conflict, uh, we get to show people the beauty of God's word when it says turn the other cheek and to love your enemy. And we see the example of that, don't we, in what Christ did for us on the cross. And that's vastly different to the way our world approaches conflict. You know, right now, just go down to any aisle that has toilet paper and you'll see that our world approaches conflict very differently. It's all about me and apparently my bathroom. But we want to show people, it's not just about conflict, we want to show people about how relationships work how God has ordered good relationships uh, with one another, uh, with our husband or wife, with our children. And we want to show them how God's way works. And as we do that, we show the world how Christ changes everything. Uh, it's not just a religion or something we do on the weekend. It actually impacts every aspect of our life. You know, there are always going to be people who want us to stop listening to the Bible. Uh, and the greatest threat uh, is actually not from outside the world around us, I think, but from within. Because like a rip, that false teaching, it starts off subtle. And before you even know it, you're just somewhere very different to where you started. And often in a place that's very dangerous. And so we need to recognise where we are. We need to recognise that we're not just following the Jesus of our culture, but we're following the Jesus of history and the Jesus of the Bible. And so we need to listen to God's word carefully, but also protect it fiercely, because what we've been given is incredibly precious. I think the more we live it, the more we recognise just how precious it is. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living and active, that it cuts us to the heart. We thank you that it shows us who you are and who you have created us to be. We thank you that it points us to your son.
who died and rose again, that we might have life. We thank you that it shows us our future as we share eternal life with you. And so, Lord, I pray as we read it, uh, as we talk about it together, as we teach our children, as we teach one another, I pray that we might understand it clearly and teach it faithfully. Amen.